hello hello everybody welcome to another episode of career wealth and relationships i'm your host z uh so we're going to continue in the series that we've been doing with the, the african diaspora so today i have another good friend of mine now of marais uh so we're taking a little bit of a different perspective today last week uh we had tawadi porto who was in the diaspora and moved back to lesotho but uh, this week we're taking uh, a, a view from someone who who left africa uh, went to the U.S. and decided to stay in the U.S. So it's going to be uh, a very interesting perspective from him. So I'm really excited, and I know you guys are very excited as well. So I just want to introduce my guest, and uh, we'll hear a little bit more about him. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Uh, so, yes, my name is Neo Maraisani. I guess some people say Neo. That's, you know, one thing here that... You have, I, you have um, to adapt, yeah? I, I, yeah, I come across a lot. People say, are you Neo from the Matrix or are you Neo? Uh, but it, it's actually pronounced Neo. So Neo Maraisani, I came to the U.S. Uh, over 10 years ago to study engineering. And after finishing my engineering degree, I have worked in different capacity, uh, different uh, size companies uh, from small to large uh, Fortune 500 and. Uh, over my career, I've worked as a product engineer and a product engineer essentially is, you know, somebody who works on uh, either product development or improving existing products. So I worked for a company called Cranlo that makes cabs for uh, tractors as well as electronic enclosures. And after spending a few, a few, a few months actually at that company, I moved on to to uh, John Deere, which is a much larger company. And um, I was working there on uh, filtration systems for um, all the product line essentially. And I was there for a couple of years after, um, after, my <clears throat> after my time there, I went to another company still in the same kind of industry, um, which is called Eaton. There I was the lead product engineer for uh, different customers, still a product engineer for existing products, meaning if customers had some issues on their vehicles, I would be the engineering point of contact and I'll work with them to resolve whatever issue they have. Awesome. That sounds pretty cool, man. It's a lot of uh, exciting things you've been working on and having different experiences in the U.S., which has been pretty awesome. Uh, so, yeah, as you've exactly. already, yeah, you already said, uh, you, you went to the U.S. to study, and it seems like it's a common trend for uh, almost all of us, really, who are coming from, uh, especially Southern Africa. We, the reason we move out uh, is... So uh, the, the, the first question I wanted to ask you, just as we do Tower as well, because I know you have a different perspective, what would you say were some of the biggest culture shocks you experienced while you first moved to the U.S.? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple, right? Uh, so the first one is, you know, services, right? Like services here are instant. Like if you if you buy like a service, you get something, right? And some people maybe in the U.S. may not quite understand how how significant this is. Um, it's not perfect. It's definitely not perfect, but it's noticeably better uh, than back home, especially if you pay for that particular service. If you are like in Lesotho, I, I don't know, may, some people may have different experiences, but I have had experiences where I paid for a service, but I literally have to, you know, be at the mercy of the person who I paid for the service for. Mm -hmm. But in the US, that's completely different. You pay for the service, you know, the company is going to make sure that you are satisfied with your service. So that was definitely 
something different, uh, which was a culture shock in a way for me, because I was used to like, yeah, you pay for you pay for a service, but then you still, you know, have to go over, you know, hoops and loops to to get what you paid for. Well, exactly. So definitely, yeah. So definitely uh, a shock to me. Wow. And uh, I guess another one is, you know, there's an abundance of things to do. Which is which can be a good thing, right? Because you have a lot to do, but it can also be a distraction. Case in point being, you know, now you have like Netflix, you have HBO Max, you have Disney Plus, you have Hulu, you mm-hmm. have Peacock. So there's this abundance of things that you you know you can do. So it's um, it's definitely crazy. Well, yeah, no, that's so true. And going back to the service parties, you realize here that people take customers very, very seriously. Customer service is one of the top things over here. And, and customers also know uh, their, their, their rights, so to speak. They're able to hold companies accountable. So, so you find that companies, you pay for a service, they understand they're not doing you a favor. They're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. So that, that's very true. And you realize that's one thing that we are still lacking at home. So I like that you really touched on that. And yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely something that we can we can we can be better at. Um, and you know, we, we we can talk more as we can talk more about that. Uh, so another final thing was you know compared to back home, and this can come as a shock for because you know it's, it's a little different back home. Is that America is generally, and that largely depends where you are in America. It's very fast-paced, and you know, yeah. people are, you know, always what's next, what's next, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you're home, there's people are a little bit more chill. People still work hard. I want to f- emphasize that people still work hard, but people are a, bit, a little bit more chill in how they approach the day-to-day life. But in America, things are super fast-paced, and like I said, it depends where you are in the U.S. I was in in the Midwest, which includes Iowa and Minnesota. Uh, it's it's a little it's fast paced by you know if we use home standards but it's also slow when you think of the u.s as a whole because you'll be thinking places like new york super fast paced mm-hmm. so that can definitely if someone is coming here for the first time and they go to new york they, it may be maybe a shock how fast people are, are doing things and literally in new york i've had that people don't even have time to say hi to you or anything like that people because people are like you know you know on to the next thing. That is so true because uh, having lived in Toronto, I have experienced this where people don't even say hi to you, even in, even on the elevator, everyone just on their phone or whatever. But it is just this culture and the mindset that's what's next, what's the next thing that I got to achieve. Like it, they are so driven. And that also yeah, may contribute to some of our people having things like uh, depression because they feel so isolated because everyone here is solely focused on themselves and what they are doing and what's next for them right so that is that is a very good point that you're bringing there as well and something that they yeah, want, and, you know, want to look into yeah definitely and it can be a double-edged uh sort sort to here like this right because the more you don't have time to you know relax and enjoy life right we see a lot of stress and anxiety and depression in, in the u.s too because people are always you know what's next so it, it can be 
you can be both good and hundred percent. Yeah, and that's 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 so true. And that leads me really to my next point because after you get your culture shocks, after you acclimatize, then there will be some valuable lessons that you learn regarding economic development as well as business as a whole. Because as we know, the US is a world leader in economic development. So, what would you say are some of uh, the lessons that you have uh, learned so far while being lived in the US for over ten years? Yeah. So there's a there's a lot and. Uh, one thing I want to mention is, like, for me, when when I was, when I came here, like in the US, especially after finishing college, what I wanted to do, as far as my career and things that I do, was to align them to to skills that I can take back home and apply back. So I worked in uh, manufacturing plants, manufacturing capacities to to see how how do you take a raw material and make it into a product, right? Mm-hmm. So. That's definitely one thing that I learned here in the U.S. that impacts uh, eco- economic development tremendously is that you have to have manufacturing activity going on in your economy. Because if you think of a manufacturing plan, let's take an example of uh, General Motors, GM, which makes mm-hmm. you know vehicles, right? You have different people employed at different capacities who have different skills, right? Someone maybe just had finished high school, someone is an engineer, someone is an accounting. So you have all these people in different capacities in this manufacturing plant. And that, you know, stimulates the economy, right? Because people are employed, you're making products that a company is making money. You know, some products are making lives of people better and they create more opportunities for other other areas of the economy too, right? If you're making vehicles, right, people are able to, transportation, right? It's able, people are able to move, goods and services are able to move. So I would say definitely having manufacturing activity going on, especially that, that um, I know in Africa, we can still have some manufacturing happening, but in most cases, it's probably like 90% ownership is people from outside. So if we can yeah. have more like, you know, homegrown manufacturing activity going on, it will tremendously have help us and have a ripple effect for entire economy because everybody's involved right with different skill sets so that's definitely one thing that i i i have seen here yeah and that that's spot on because uh if you if you look at uh give given the, the case of lesotho's uh for example you look at the, the diamond mines over there uh they i believe the report was saying they are 70 percent foreign owned and if you have such a huge stake in such a precious resource, uh, it means all the profits are going to leave the country. It means uh, most of the work is not going to be done in the country. And also, it also means most of the high paying jobs are done by foreigners. So if we can try and make sure that our economies, the large companies are owned by Africans and they benefit Africans, then that's where you will start to see even processing plants, like you're saying, we will add more value onto the product before it actually leaves the continent, which is really what uh, we've been struggling with right now is how can we add extra value before we start to export our raw materials, so to speak. So that's definitely something uh, we have to try and implement and work on. Yeah, and and, and exactly. And I think, yes, you know, this discussion is very important, right? We we have to have this only, but the question comes, like, how do we actually achieve that, right? And one thing that I've like learned from here is that 
you can we can still have somebody you know with the expertise right sometimes we won't necessarily have the expertise to you know mine the diamonds and refine them and do that right Mm -hmm. but we can still have an investor but we should set some terms in the contracts that says hey you're going to be here maybe for for 10 years or whatever the amount of time is that we all agree on right Mm -hmm. and then we make sure that they employ you know, some of the talent back home, right, as engineers or in different capacities of the, you know, the diamond industry from it being a raw material to the refinement Definitely. so that, you know, the people on, on local people can learn from these people. And then we either buy the equipment from that, you know, investor or company, or we, you know, we make our own or we source ours some, somewhere else. I, I still see value in having investors because they bring some knowledge, right? That as a country, sometimes you don't necessarily have that know-how. So, but we should have some regulations and some um, terms that are put on the, the contracts because my understanding is right now it's just open-ended, right? These people that just do business and percent stake and, you know, nobody cares. And it doesn't really make much change. Well, and you're, you're spot on, right? Uh, it's it's exactly the, the the model that China has used is uh, it, it did adopt some of the, the the Western technology and it brought some of the Western people 40 years ago to go in there. And but the key was you teach our people, you you equip our people with the skills, and like you said, you 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 you, you create regulations so that they don't just take the money, they don't, they don't just bring their own people and live without having really created a uh, lasting impact. Because the biggest resource you can or investment you can make is with your people so even if you bring an investor they have to make sure that they, they equip our people and that can only be done by regulations that are very strong and saying listen uh, you have to equip our people while you invest your money we want your money but we also need you to leave skills in there right so i, I you're definitely spot on there yeah absolutely and uh, the next thing i would say um you is the idea of a, a minimum viable product um I, I see this being implemented so much here in the U.S. And, mm-hmm. you know, I hope that in Africa or like even back home, our, our entrepreneurs, as, as they think of things to do and ideas, they should know that they, they could do like just a minimum viable product and you keep working on it and refining it. And a good example of this is uh, Tesla. If you think of Tesla, when they released uh, the Model 3 mm-hmm. car, it was a minimum viable product. It wasn't finished, but it was good. So they made sure that they hit on the main things that make them different, you know, acceleration, the technology inside. They made sure that they, you know, they hit on. But like what they did was through like software updates over time, they kept making the vehicle more refined and even much, much better, right, over time. So it's a whole concept of like releasing a minimum viable product, meaning product that customers can buy, mm-hmm. right? It's not a finished but product, isn't it? It's not a finished, it's not a finished product, but make sure that it's, it's scalable. You can make improvements on it so that you know, it becomes better over time. So those are some of the things that I... That is so true. But would you, would you say the environment also played a big part? Because I'm thinking there might be a listener out there who's like, well, yeah, Elon Musk had the environment. He had the investments. He had uh, the resources to be able to build Tesla. We don't have that in Africa. How, how, how can we, or how would you answer that? Yeah, I would say, you know, that, you know, that definitely true. And um, I would say too, it was good that you had a discussion with uh, Tabo. Exactly. You know, Tabo Deport, who is actually 
in the area and he sees things there but i still think that some of these concepts you know we can still uh bring them back home of course they have to be like modified right for the conditions and the economy back home but we can still we can still uh learn from them and we have to also determine why is it that some of the things that don't work or how can we make them back home or how can we modify them i think the biggest thing is like how can we modify some of the lessons to make them localize them you that is yeah. so true yeah. Lo- localize them back home definitely and yeah finally like on the economic development i know that you know we talk about like infrastructure back home which is definitely one of the you know bottlenecks for that's making it harder to 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 have any investors right like if you think of malitsunyani falls right yeah you in order to get to malitsunyani falls you have to have like a 4 by 4 vehicle to get there because the roads are just so treacherous yeah. mm-hmm. to even get there right but it's such a beautiful amazing place like in the world that i have seen like you know mm-hmm. it's amazing there's so much opportunity there like for tourism, tourism exactly for, yeah. for local people to you know have businesses and for like entertainment you know mm-hmm. uh to, to to be in that area but the limitation is the infrastructure right and it mm-hmm. also makes people foreign investors and as well as local investors not to uh or entrepreneurs to 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 make developments in that area Definitely. and obviously the next topic will be well the government is not doing anything right the government is the government's responsibility to build infrastructure and that is definitely very true but the government is not doing anything and if any politicians are listening to you i you know i just have to say you know step up like we need you we need uh infrastructure in, in Lesotho and in Africa in different areas to be able to facilitate economic development but how can how can we as the the people like even people in, in diaspora how can we how can we improve infrastructure right i th- i think in order to do it we we can have some you know grassroots uh changes that people and individuals come together and uh implement these changes and one one of those as a specific thing that the diaspora can do is attracting foreign investors and showing them the potential and untapped potential that's in still in african countries especially lesotho um and making it clear that the only thing that's stopping you know economic development is the infrastructure and have them invest in in uh, in the infrastructure And so the, the reason I'm saying that is because there's so many organizations and activities going on like you know to make water more accessible to people in you know in Africa you know while that is great I think you know we can help them because people here they want to support but sometimes they don't know what the real issues are yeah so I think we have that unique uh position to inform them on some, on some of the real challenges like the the road is pretty you know there's no road to go to a certain place so that they can you know make that a priority to as far as improvements they can do now well that, that is very true and uh, part of the reason why i started this series was uh most things start with a conversation but they should not end with a conversation so i i definitely wanted to bring different voices and see okay let's first discuss and see what is the challenges that we are facing and 
then how can we be part of the solution? Because I definitely do believe we in the diaspora have a big role to play. And, and also, like we said, uh, connecting with people at home and learning what the real issues are as well, because that's also very important. You might have a great idea and a great concept, but you still need to be able to learn the actual African market. So now that we have identified those things, we have to be the bridge that brings investors to Africa, but at the same time, making sure we, we have that equal footing, because the, the one thing that I'm not a big fan of is getting getting aid into Africa, because I don't, I don't want... Uh, for us to have that mindset that oh come and help me and I just need your help and I'm this poor person who just needs your help it's more so how can we enter into a partnership you invest into infrastructure but then you get something out of it and I get something out of it as well you're not just bringing aid because that can be very dangerous and I, I believe it's one of the things that can bring us back but well I think we'll touch we'll touch on that a little bit just kind of moving on a little bit here what would you say for, for yourself specifically have been uh, some of the challenges in operating an American workforce, uh, which you wouldn't necessarily face if you decided to go back home? Yeah, so <clears throat> one of the biggest one that maybe a lot of people don't talk about, I think, is the accent. And this is an issue. Yeah, uh, definitely. It can it also be like, I'm sure like in the UK, like well, wherever you are and you don't speak the local language necessarily, you know. I'll speak for America, in America specifically, um, accent is very, it's a, it's a big, it's a big thing. It's a, it can be a challenge operating in a, in a uh, American workforce. And um, I've, I've, you know, met even some people who are not necessarily from Africa, but from China, who are like, you know, very smart and brilliant people, mm -hmm. but because of the accent and just the way they speak, they, you know, they don't move as much, you know, in, in, in the American workforce because of the accent. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know some people who even work with speech therapists just to get the American accent. And sometimes it's not even just speaking with an American accent, but it's just making sure that you're being understood. It's very important in America to make sure that you are understood and you're not misunderstood and your message, you know, comes across just the way you intended. So I have I, seen that as a... As a as a as a big challenge to yeah. to kind kind of um, it it can it can be limiting like you know during the interview process and of course it depends on what role right if it's a mm -hmm. super critical uh, role that's you know maybe customer facing facing where if you're misunderstood that could be you know life and death situation like that right yeah. so it can it can kind of be like limit limiting it's absolutely. I wouldn't say it's like, you know, absolutely like, you know, terrible thing. You're not going to be able to do anything if you have like a certain accent. But it's um, harder. But it can become hard and people can kind of judge you. You have to kind of self a lot to people. And also, there's also like a that people assume that if somebody has a probably like dumb like that, right? Well, you're but exactly really, spot on. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, 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 not, it's not true. It's just... Obviously, like a person speaks two languages and you probably speak one language. But um, regardless, having a clear speech and communication is very important. And also, like in addition, speaking about communication, it's very, very important here. I think it's something that maybe people back home may not be. But soft skills are actually incredibly important. I know back home is not like overemphasize that you also have to develop your soft skills and on top of your technical skills. Can you touch Some on people, that a little bit? I know. Yeah, definitely. So like at home, for example, you know, somebody can be like very smart and like very like technical, right? 
but they don't have the soft skills. Yeah. So, and sometimes back home is fine. You know, you, you, you can, you know, you can survive, but here you really have to have the soft skills to, to be able to, to, to speak up and be heard by other people. People are just not gonna assume, people can't read your mind, you know, and um, you, you can be taken for granted sometimes just because you don't have the right soft skills to, to influence people, to move organizations that you are in because people here, the good thing is that people listen to you. Even leaders can listen to you. I have made some you know, impacts and changes and improvements in workspaces that I've been just by going directly to to, um, to people in leadership and voicing my concerns and, you know, they listen, right? So you have to have those uh, soft skills, which are, you know, also important in networking, right? In order to improve and be even much, much, much better, people are just not going to find you just because you're smart or just well, because exactly. you're really incredibly talented. Your soft skills can help you, like, be able to network and find people and make influence and be heard and you know make, make your points clear to people so i think it's incredibly important that is so true yeah and and i uh, touching on both issues uh both uh items that you've raised there yeah the, the accent thing i think it's 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 very common even in canada it's the same issue that once you have an accent people look down on you they think you're stupid and also they, they make you repeat yourself a lot more which sometimes may uh, affect your self-confidence as well so that's something definitely mm -hmm. that you 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 have to rise above and just continue to be confident and speak uh i think the most important thing is as long as you speak in a way that you can be heard and and you are you are very confident in what you are saying because you know what you're saying exactly. it's just that they may exactly they, they may they may not think you know what you're saying so you just have to keep reassuring them that no i'm, I'm good at what i'm doing and I, I know my job and i'm good at it you know what i mean but it, it is something yeah, you have exactly. to constantly prove yourself on yeah and the soft skills thing is so is so true because uh i i believe especially in the sort of from my experiences if you're good at your job meaning the, the technical stuff they can just leave you at your own corner and be like no but he's the it guy he doesn't have to he doesn't really network he doesn't you know I mean? it's not part of the culture as much and can you exactly. touch on um, yeah i was gonna say can can you uh touch on and uh, i know we talked a little bit about this earlier but uh, then what would you say stay even through these challenges what made you stay? yeah so definitely so i would uh, put this scenario for most people who maybe haven't come to the u.s or uh, don't know about the situation immigrants or people who come to to the US or Canada or whatever the country may be. So once you are done with your studies, you are confronted with two choices. You can either, you know, go home, right? Just like report mm -hmm. and many others, right? Or you, exactly. can, you, can, you, can, you can stay here. Mm -hmm. So my main reason for staying, I would say, I, I, I think of myself as an empty cup. Fill me up. I, I am I'm ready to absorb like information anytime. Like if you are the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room, right? So yeah, I always yeah. have that going on for me that I'm an empty cup, just fill me up. So that was one of the reasons that I stayed here. I wanted to absorb as much skills that I can, you know, in, in, in over some time that I can, you know, bring back home. And uh, as Ditabo mentioned, that when you go home, you know, it's very hard, right? There's some challenges there with, you know, people being scared of you mm -hmm. and, um, you know, there's some challenges there. So I, I thought about all of those things. I'm like, okay, if I go home right now for me personally, and the situation can be different from person to person, exactly. and I, my skills are there, but I still not refined in the workplace to be able to say, well, you know, if I, if I go home, if 
I'm not going to just be focusing on somebody being at a mercy of somebody hiring. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to develop the skills that, you know, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I've worked in manufacturing capacities. I know, you know about product development, how to take a raw material and make it in a, uh, in, into a consumer product. So I know I have those skills now mm-hmm. and, you know, you can kind of apply those. So I'll say that, that was the main reason I wanted to absorb more skills and learn more from America that I think in four years of college, you don't necessarily have enough time to learn actual actionable things, right? Well, but yeah. being in the workspace of in America, you are then have, able to see the reality of working there and uh, some of the things and maybe even technologies that they actually use in the workplace that can be adopt, uh, adapted to, to situations back home. You wouldn't necessarily know those in college. You may read about them, but the experience is also a very important. Very important. So yeah. I would say that's, that's the main thing. But as you know, you know with life too, I, I was fortunate to also meet the love of my life. So that's another reason I, 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 you know, I definitely stayed here. I met the, I met the love. Definitely, and family is very important. So that's 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 a big reason why you would want to stay stay in the US. Right? So that 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 makes a, a lot of sense. No, that, that's that's very good. And uh, uh, moving on, I guess would be uh, now that you're talking about you're getting the skills, uh, you definitely want to have more, not just theory, but practice. You're, you're building yourself in the. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you see in our continent? And then once we touch on that, we want to talk about how do you think we can contribute? We've already talked about the foreign direct investment, but just looking at the continent as a whole, not just Lesotho, what do you see as uh, biggest challenges that we are facing as Africans in Africa? Definitely. So I will actually start this one with a story about mm-hmm. Jewish people. Yeah. Uh, Jewish people are, you know, generally very successful people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very successful in people, especially here in America. And so the reason why is, is actually very simple. You know, many people may be think that it's because the Jewish people are smart. And that may be true because probably I think about 20% of people who have, uh, who have won like Nobel prizes mm-hmm. in the past are Jewish people. So you can attribute some of that to maybe being smart, but the actual reason is that they help and support each other, Jewish people, like wherever they are. And it's actually very interesting because uh, in the past, South Korea as a country wanted to improve uh, its, it, you know, itself. And they were looking at different things and uh, they came across the Jewish people and they, they, through their research and studies, they saw that, you know, statistically, um, Jewish people are more successful. And then they were wondering why are the Jewish people so successful? Mm-hmm. And, um, What's funny is that they thought it was because of the Jewish Tanakh, which is the Jewish Bible. They mm-hmm. thought it's because they read the Jew- Jewish uh, Bible, Bible yeah. religiously mm-hmm. and they get some concepts there to be successful. And what's funny in North Korea, because of that, they actually instituted the, in the cur- curriculum to study Tanakh. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... I would say definitely that's a big blessing there from uh, the, the Jewish uh, people that helping each other is incredible. It's, um, you know, it's help and support each other. And uh, actually some of the Jewish people when they came to the U.S. from uh, the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. they were in, in them, uh, as an example, they would have rent an apartment lined up for them 
-hmm. that they can live in for free. And also like, you know, um, studying as well was kind of taken care of, not by a government or anything, but by the community of Jewish people. Mm -hmm. So so that's definitely like a, I, what I see as a challenge back home that we can be better at. I, I think people still do help each other, but we can be even you know, more better and support each other, not really beat people and support each other because at the end of the day, it's going to be good for you. 100%. Yeah, and I think that the biggest thing is that we have, we have to learn that, especially from Lesotho, because I'll speak from a Mosotho's perspective, is uh, I, I, it, it feels like we have this fear that if I support you, you're going to get rich. But isn't that the whole point? You are supposed to be rich so that we compound on that because uh, you've got a very uh, big point about Jewish people. They have understand the power of compound compounding right? because you, yes. you you start small but then you build on that you have in your community you make sure your money circulates the most right that, and in that way that's how you grow as a community yeah exactly and at one additional point one of the challenges that i see to the uh we we're still not very connected and i'll speak for Lesotho, but i think it's also uh the same situation in other part of africa mm-hmm. is that we're still not connected to the rest of the world. Yes, in terms of technology, like, you know, social media, we are connected. But as far as the mobility of goods, we, yeah. we are not we are not connected. So that impacts, uh, you know, supply chain and also trade in itself that you can't move goods very easily, right? Um, mm. And as an example, like if I wanted to ship something to Lesotho right now, I yeah. only have one reliable option, which is DHL. And it's very expensive, like it's it is, super yeah. expensive. Yeah. So w- one of the things that I see as a child, we have to, one, we, c- we could either like develop uh, a shipping service, like a shipping company that's back mm-hmm. home, that's global, that's just yeah. not only in Lesotho. That's gonna allow people in Lesotho who are like entrepreneurs to easily sell their products elsewhere in the world. Yeah. But also if they need a certain raw material, they can easily, import that raw material in Lesotho without having to go over, you know, a very complicated process. Yeah. And I know it's it's very difficult to set up a shipping shipping service. So one of the things that we can do, you know, in the diaspora is like attracting and, you know, talking to uh, companies like FedEx and UPS to have a little bit more presence in in Africa. In South Africa, in Africa as a whole, yeah. Yeah, as a whole, but of course it has to make a business uh, sense for them to do so. They wouldn't just want to be there and they only ship uh, something from now, like, you know, once once a month or something like that. It has to be a, a continuous flow, right, of goods coming in and coming out of the country. Just look at China, right, and the U.S., because there's a lot of trading activity going on. Going on, yeah. Even though things could take a long time, but there's that thing going on. So we need to get to that point too. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you you are spot on. I think the biggest challenge that I'm taking away from what you're saying is uh, we we are not connected, and the biggest reason we're not connected is infrastructure. Once again, uh, African countries we have to do a better job of, of building infrastructure because even if we in the diaspora were to make a case to multinationals to, to go over there, they still need the infrastructure to be able to move their goods freely, to be able to have that demand. And I think that's something we have to work on as Africans. Now, either, and it can't just be people from the diaspora, uh, governments have to be involved, public sector, private sector have to merge. And we, 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 I think we have this need and the drive to say, you know what, we have to develop our continent. 
and we have to allow free trade one but we also have to have the infrastructure that makes it easy for goods and people to move within uh country within countries in africa because uh, africa as a whole it's massive right it has so yes. many people and such a huge potential if you look at china the reason they, part of the reason why they became successful is because they had the the labor to, to be able a cheap labor to be able to to produce but they, i feel like they also had the willingness and the drive they they wanted it they wanted to to be successful they wanted to develop their country and i think as a continent we have to want to develop our continent definitely you are definitely right yeah so yeah i think we 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 did definitely touch touch on a little bit on what we can do as a diaspora is try and uh bring foreign direct investment but on our own terms so that's one of the biggest things that, that you were mentioning yeah and there's you know there's additional things that we can you know do and the role that we can play as a as a diaspora and one of the key things that i see is you know we have to be ambassadors we have to be ambassadors and cheerleaders cheerleaders wherever we are mm-hmm. of our own countries but of africa as a whole no matter where you are like in what capacity or like role be an ambassador as a as a person in diaspora you know mm-hmm. you have to talk up africa or your country to people because you know there's some stereotypes and things getting people and things like that so you just find opportunities when wherever you are wherever mm-hmm. you can to showcase the true potential of africa definitely no that that's really good and we we have to present uh, our our continent write our own story basically and present it in such a way from a position of strength that listen uh, africa is not just this charity case we actually have a lot of potential and we we can do some great things with partnership with you guys exactly mm-hmm. exactly yep and um we you know in some of the things we can do as people like in diaspora one of the things that makes businesses successful here in the US is there are a lot of programs that support business so we can work with people that are back home like like we can work together to come up with programs that are going to support small businesses and i believe they have something going on right now so definitely build on to onto that um because you have a lot of people with potential in mm-hmm. the sotu just people have the you know they have the drive to 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 be business people you can see by just an you know number of 4 plus 1 which you know for our listeners we don't know 4 plus 1s are basically taxi cabs yeah there's so many people in there it just shows that people really want to do something right but the problem right back home is that once people see somebody with a, a good idea they also want to do the same thing and yeah, everyone wants like to follow a, that yeah, yeah it's not necessarily like a bad thing but everybody starts doing it and then the market gets saturated right so mm-hmm. i think where the programs that we as diaspora you know in collaboration with people who are back home we can come up with this program to support these people and say you know we see this person has the design and the energy to start a business we help yeah. them with you know different ideas that can also be successful and support them you know throughout so that the market doesn't become saturated because of the, all the same idea well you're definitely spot on there and uh, that's really the hope of this series that it will become something bigger where we end up bringing tangible things because i i believe africans are some of the most hard working people i i know it's just that we need the right opportunities because right now there are very limited opportunities we have to create opportunities to foster ideas and businesses make sure we grow small businesses because really the private sector is what will drive our economies we call definitely mm-hmm. well speaking of projects that you're working on there 
Uh, is there something specifically you are working on right now that you would want the audience to know about? Definitely. One common problem that drivers face on the road and that I have personally experienced is exposure to road debris and other environmental hazards. Even with defensive driving, there's no escaping small rocks hitting your headlights at 70 miles per hour. There, there simply isn't. What I've realized is that most people already put a screen uh, protector or a phone case on their phones. So why not do the same for your headlights? I am so excited to announce that we are launching a company centered around car products. And our first product is a polyurethane film that we call a headlight protection film, which also happens to have self-healing properties. What this means is that small cuts from rocks will heal on their own and your headlights will look like nothing ever happened. You know, how amazing is that? Also, the film stays on tight, but if you ever wanted to peel it off, it's very easy to do so, and your headlights will be maintained in the same condition as before. And listen to this. According to Consumer Federation of America, 73% of African-American households own a vehicle. But just ask yourself how many Black-owned auto product suppliers have you have seen out there. Probably not as many as there should be or one would think. And that's another reason we are so excited about this offering. We plan to expand our product line in the future to include car cleaning products and other car accessories. So we, we're really, really excited about what the future holds. We are also offering a 20% discount to all of your listeners who use the promo code WCR. 2021, which comes from you know, wealth, career, and relationships. So again, the promo code is WCR2021 for 20% off. You can also support us by following our Instagram page at Revamp Nation with two Ps. And Z, I will provide the link to you as well, so you can include it in the show notes. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You have more uh, more questions reach out to me as well regarding this because it's a brilliant initiative uh that now is working on as well yeah and that mm -hmm. uh definitely that definitely brings us uh, to the close of this episode so i just want to thank you for taking the time out i think we we touched on a couple of very important things the conversation will continue and hopefully it will lead into action but i just wanted to say thank you for uh coming in and thank you for the listeners for tuning in definitely continue to listen and support the podcast Thank you for your time today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye.